Well, hello and good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you might happen to be. Um, we were having a few technical difficulties, so I apologize about getting started here a little bit late today. Uh, we are still having some technical difficulties, but we're going to go ahead and get started and, and hope that everything goes well. So uh, bear with me here. Uh, my name is Guy Stevens. I am the founder and executive director of the Alliance Against Seclusion and Restraint. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Alliance, I started the Alliance just about two years ago uh, and started it really because I had been through a personal um, situation with my son who had been restrained and secluded in a Maryland school. After that, I began to do a lot of research. And the more research I did, the more I became aware and concerned about the problems that were happening in our school in terms of how we were working with kids, often kids that had disabilities uh, or may have had trauma backgrounds, may have been black or brown, you know, uh, you know, and other other factors. So a lot of kids were were being inappropriately restrained, secluded, uh, suspended, expelled. And, and that's what led me to start this organization. Uh, our mission is to educate the public and bring people together that are dedicated to changing minds, laws, policies and practices. So the restraint, seclusion are reduced and eliminated in schools across the nation and beyond. And, and even beyond that, you know, we're interested in anywhere these things are happening, whether it's at a, you know, behavioral treatment center or a camp or a hospital. Uh, we really can do better than using things like restraint seclusion that really cause trauma and can cause a lot of issues for anyone that, that goes through those. Our vision is to see safer schools for students, teachers and staff. And although we've been having some technical issues, I think we're going to we're going to manage through it regardless. Uh, I'm very excited to have a guest today with us, Victoria. And Victoria is a parent that it, uh, I connected with, uh, oh gee, months ago, um, who has an amazing story about not only what happened to her son, and I'll tell you that listening to these stories can be really, really difficult, and, and Victoria's is no exception to that. So be aware, um, she's going to be sharing some of her story about her son's restraint and seclusion and uh, really the journey that led her on in terms of her advocacy work and her work to make a difference. Uh, I will let you know that we will be taking questions. So this is going to be primarily an interview format today, but we'll be taking questions throughout the conversation. I also want to let you know that today's event, event is being recorded, as we always do. It will be available to listen to on Facebook, YouTube, and also as an audio podcast. So with that, let me introduce my co-host, and hopefully hopefully, the technical issues won't get us here. Uh, let me go ahead and bring up uh, Beth Tolley. Beth is our amazing co-host and an amazing part of the Alliance Against Seclusion and Restraint. She is the Director of Educational Strategy. Uh, she actually retired in 2018 from a leadership position, Virginia's lead agency uh, for early intervention of infants and toddlers. And, and that was a, a good opportunity for us because Beth has a lot to uh, give. And, and she's probably been as busy, if not busier now that she's retired, uh, helping and trying to help families, children and, and others. Uh, she's got a lot of experience both as a parent and grandparent of children who have had some behavioral challenges. And that's really fueled her passion to try to help to try to improve the way that we work with children and families and provide education and support and advocacy. So welcome, Beth. Really excited to have you here today. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. Would so you like me to go ahead? Absolutely. And, and as you know, we've been having some technical difficulties here. I'm going to try to bring Victoria up. I know we were having some video issues, so hopefully we'll be able to bring her up. But why don't you go ahead and introduce Victoria and whether or not we have her video right now, uh, we'll we'll get her on the line. So if you would okay, uh, be so kind. Okay. I met Victoria yesterday and you are in for a treat. Um, 
this part is not a treat. Victoria, uh, three years ago in March, her son was restrained by a school resource officer. Um, and today, and we'll talk about that story. And some of you read a little bit about it today, I know, on the Facebook page. Today, Victoria is the founder of Families United for Self-Empowerment, which is a nonprofit organization in North Dakota. She helps mentor families and youth on how to become self-advocates. Victoria has a background in business management, leadership, and healthcare. Families United for Self-Empowerment is a nonprofit organization that provides network support services for vulnerable families with children, youth, and young adults throughout the state of North Dakota. They help connect families with other agencies, services, and organizations. Um, this next thing I wanted to say, I thought maybe I'd just give you the acronym. Uh, Victoria, Victoria currently serves on the NDDPIIDEAAC. That's quite an acronym. <laughs> so let me tell you what it is. It's the North Dakota Department of Public Instruction, Special Education, Individuals with Disabilities Act idea. Advisory committees. It sounds like what our CACs are, what some of us call CX, Special Education Advisory Committee. Um, and also, she serves on the Cass County Juvenile Justice Racial and Ethnic Disparity Committee. <clears throat> her passion uh, to help and mentor families and youth is what led her to start the Families United for Self Empowerment. So, so on that cue, I just saw Victoria pop up again. It looks like she might be on her phone trying to connect. So let me bring her up and see if we have sound and video. Hey, Victoria. Yeah. Hey, guys... you're there. Oh, can you guys hear me? We yes. can hear you and we can see you. Uh, oh, you know, I know. I, I know you've had to switch from from computer to computer. Now we've got you on your phone, but we can absolutely hear and see you. So um, we were just doing your welcome, and uh, we're really excited to have you here today. Well, thank you so much. I apologize for that. My laptop, both laptops and my iPod, everything is says is compromised. I don't know how, but yeah. <laughs> well, well, you, you, oh you know, it, it, it really probably is uh, somewhat related to your story because your, your story is about persistence and not giving up. And today, as we get <laughs> on here, we've had to be persistent and not give up. I think you've connected on two computers and now a phone, but you are here and uh, we're, we're really excited to talk to you. So you know, um, I had the opportunity to meet you um, several months ago and, and, you know, we've had a couple of conversations uh, and your story, of course, um, you know, unfortunately, so many of these stories have so much to connect them together. So, you know, as I, I hear about what happened to your son and I think about what happened to my son and so many other families that have been affected by, you know, restraint, seclusion, suspension, expulsion, you know, uh, police in schools, all of these different things. Um, you know, I, I really was excited to meet you, but I'm always Always a little sad that we meet under the circumstances that we do. Um, that said, you are an amazing advocate, and we really enjoyed uh, talking to you yesterday as we prepared for this, with no technical issues, by the way. Um, so, yeah, why, why don't we start off? And and if you would, um, you know, we shared on our Facebook page yesterday uh, the news story about what had happened to your son with a little bit of the video. But if you would, why don't you tell our um, audience here, kind of? What got you involved in the work? Because you've been doing some amazing advocacy, you know, initially on the behalf of your son, but then on behalf of a much larger community. So how did you get involved in this issue of, of restraint and seclusion? Can you tell us your story? Yes. Uh, thank you so much again. Um, my name is Victoria Johnson. Um, so in March of 2018, March 6th of 2018, um, I received a phone call from my son. 
And he called me around in the afternoon and um, he told me, mom, come pick me up. I want to go home. My chest hurts. And I said, why your chest hurts? And he said that the police officer threw him on the floor and handcuffed him. So when you hear that as a parent, you panic. I was at work. So I looked at my bus and I said, I have to go. I took off and I drove to school. I arrived at the school around 1.15 or something. And my son was wearing this, like a lime, bright lime green shirt, a long sleeve. And he had a blood all over his elbow. His wrists was all just terror from the handcuffed. And he just looked at me and I said, what happened? So the teacher was there. There was a, one of the teachers was there and she looked at me and she said, I wasn't here. So I don't know what happened, but let me get you somebody. So I said, okay. So I'm sitting there with my son. I'm asking him what happened and he's showing me what happened. I said, okay. So as I'm standing there with my son, the teacher paged the resource officer and the principal and let alone, I turn around, there was about six to eight police officers just showed up and there were hands on their guns and they were just looked at me he's like, step aside, ma'am, step aside. We're here to arrest your son. And I thought, okay, arrest him for what? What did he do for terrorizing? Step aside. I just like, okay, at that moment, I knew I had to stay calm. The way they were acting, I had to stay calm. So they took my son across state line to Minnesota. So we're kind of border from North Dakota to Minnesota. It's just across the river. So they took him over there to detention center where there's kids all the way to the age of 18. So when they arrived there and dropped my son off, I got a phone call from the detention center. They go, we have him here and we don't know. Uh, if you know, this is the youngest kid we ever had. This is the youngest kid we ever had. And we never had a kid like this. And we're worried. Is there a way we can take him to Perry, Perry St. John? It's a mental health um, hospital we have. And they said, Let, let's call you back. So they call me back and say, we'll transport him over there if you can meet us there. So I left work. I went there. And they ask questions and say, what, is he danger to himself? Is he danger to the community? Is he danger to anybody? I said, no. They're like, well, why is he charged? I was like, I have no idea because nobody told me what he did. And so they looked at me and they said, well, because we don't know what he did and he's not danger to himself, the community or anybody, we can't keep him here. So I remember the staff member who brought him there decided made a phone call and then came back inside and said, yeah, I called and my boss called and they said to take him back. So they took him right back to that detention center. I just, I thought, are you serious? So I just, I had to stay calm. And the next morning we went to court, we went to court and my son, when he walked in the courtroom with the shackles, his legs mm -hmm. and hands was in shackles. I almost cried inside the courtroom but i couldn't i had to maintain calm because i don't want him to see that fear and hurt in me so i had to stay calm for him and the judge decided to release him uh but he couldn't go with him with me at home right away so what they did was 
he had to get back on that shackles and they had to transport him back to the detention center. I had to drive over there for them to release him. I had to go do the paperwork. So I had to drive all the way there and to release him. I came home, we went to court. And when we went to court, the public defender just was not interested in helping me. I can honestly say, you know, um, I asked him, you know, I know my kid didn't do this. And he just looked at me like, who do you think they're going to believe you or your son over a police officer and dedicate teachers? And then he looked at my son and say, oh, nice 1999 uh, Costco jacket. That looks nice. And I just at that moment, I knew I knew I had to fight for my son's the truth. I had to fight it. So I requested to see the video at the school district. And when I watched that video, I cried. I cried and I could not believe what happened. Hey, Victoria, can I, can I, hey, Victoria, can yes. I can ask can you a quick question? Um, so prior to, prior, yeah, I can hear you. Prior to seeing the video, um, you know, you talked about, you know, your son being the youngest one that had been sent to that detention center, um, you know, and eventually, of course, was was released. How old was your son again at this time? My son. OK, so the incident happened when he just turned 10. His first incident, he was, was only nine. Yep. He was okay. only nine years old when the first incident happened. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that you said yesterday that I think is, is still... Um, interesting is that the, the facility wasn't comfortable for him being there by himself. They they were afraid for his safety. So they asked yes. him to come. You, yeah, you they were. They were very, very afraid for his safety because they say he was the youngest kid they have never seen. And because all the kids they have there are actually kids who commit a crime and they don't know really what his crime is. And so they decided to call me and ask if I can come there and stay with him until he fell asleep. So I stayed with him that night until he was ready to go to sleep. And they made his bed across from the staff desk. So there's like, we're moving him across from us so we can make sure he's safe. And we hope and pray he goes home tomorrow. And, and I just, it, it was like a nightmare. And you still mm -hmm. just, you don't wanna believe your kid is going through this. And so that's when I, when I watched that video was really when I realized I had to fight. And I, right away. I'm thinking you told us, that you had not even seen the video yet when the, that you were asked to take a plea deal. Is that correct? No, I have not seen the video yet when I was asked to take the plea deal. I have not seen the video. And I don't think at that point the public defender was even interested to hear there was a video. He was not interested to hear anything. All he wants me to do is take whatever they were giving me and just go my way. When, when did you hurt first? Uh, I'm sorry. I just want to ask, when, when did you first actually hear what the allegations were? When, did, when was the first time? Because I know that initially, you know, they, they took them off. You didn't know. When did you find out what their, what their allegations were against your son? I find out more about the allegation when they took him to court, they took him to the detention center on the 6th. On the 7th, when he came to court, I went to court, and that's when the prosecutor was reading the charges against him, and that's when I find out what he was getting charged on. So your son had been taken to jail, 
taken to a, uh, a, a um, psychiatric facility and you had no idea what they were saying that he did other than there was something that had happened unsafe. Yes, that's yeah, because I didn't have that information and I didn't know right. why my son was right. taken or why he's getting charged that because of that, they could not keep my son at that psychiatric facility because they have to make sure that the individual is danger to themselves, to somebody in order for them to keep that individual. But he wasn't. And so they told me, no, we can't keep them. Right. So uh, Pamela was just asking what year this happened. Uh, what, what year did this occur? 2018. 2018. Okay. All right. So uh, I'm sorry, Beth, did you have uh, a question as well? Yeah, I'm thinking about this whole sequence. So you had a day and a half of what you had no idea what he was charged for until the court. And then you're meeting with the um, public defender. Uh, he did not give you his advice to you was to take a plea deal, which I want you to share what that was. He didn't suggest what you could do to help find out the truth, take care of your son, look out for him. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, you are. Okay. So could you tell folks what his, the plea, what he recommended? This is, this is the defender who's supposed to be helping your son. And his recommendation was? It was nine months uh, probation. He will be on nine months supervised probation. And then he has to go to counseling and some therapy. Um, and that was the recommendation. So basically his assumption was the adults were right. Your son did something that justified all this. Yes. Pretty so, much that's what I took, you know, based on him giving me that information. I just automatically, in my opinion, he already, you know, assumed that he committed the crime. Right. And the crimes were, tell the, tell the folks what the, what the uh, charges were. Uh, he was charged with uh, terrorizing. That was one of the charges, uh, disturbance of public school. Um, he was also charged with, let me see, it was like obstruction of, it's a attempted, simple attempt, attempted simple assault on a police officer. That was one of them. And then it was something about to do with the government. I don't recall correctly. I believe it was um, physical obstruction of government function. That was what it was. Oh my gosh. It's like a total nightmare. So- <laughs> There are a couple really important things I, I want you to tell everybody. One of them is um, how you got the video and what you saw in the video. And part of that is what actually happened. So if you could tell those two things, how you got the video and what, what actually happened. So our school district have a policy and our policy is you can request to view that kind of evidence. So the video. So what I did is I put in a written request, asked if I can view the video. And they, of course they couldn't say no. So I went and I viewed the video. Of, they did not give me the video because it was their property. So when I saw the video, I could not believe. It was a 26 minute long video, 26 minute long. And there was, there was few staff members in that room. And the same staff member who told me when I first arrived at the school on the 6th, who told me she was not there, she couldn't explain what happened, happened to be in the video. She was there. And so that was just, I lost trust. I couldn't trust her at that point. And so what happened is when I saw that video, 
I decided to call a friend um, who worked at a law firm at that time. And she was also practicing law, but he, she was working under another attorney. So I told her what happened and she goes, well, let me talk to my boss. So she talked to her boss and I had already known this attorney from working in a healthcare. And so this attorney is like, yeah, we'll take your case. And so they took the case and I told them what happened and I had to pay, of course. And so, yeah, they took my case and they moved this case from juvenile court to the district. So the state of North Dakota had to charge my son. And once they did that, the burden of proof, it became on them to prove that my son committed the crime. And so during that discovery, they had to release that video to my attorneys. They had no choice but to release that video because it's part of the discovery. And when they saw the video from the beginning to the end, it was just, my son did not commit, did any of these things they said. This allegation that was brought on my son, according to the police report, the reason why he got involved is that he was called, my son, was attacking another student. And so that's how he got involved. In the video, you can see my son sitting in the stairs. He was sitting in the stair. And this whole thing started because he did not want to be in a classroom with a male teacher. He wants to be in classroom with his favorite teacher, who's a female teacher. And they're like, no, you're not gonna be with this teacher. You're gonna go with this teacher. So this is really the truth of what really happened. It was just, he so, didn't wanna go with that, the teacher. So I I didn't pick up on that yesterday. So they fabricated that there was a fight? Yeah, oh, I'm looking at the police report. I still have the police report. In the police report, actually, it said that he was in between another student. What happened was that student, they claim, is my next door neighbor. <laughs> you know, the student was my next door neighbor when they say he got in between that student. And so they had to come in and help. And I looked at that report and I end up even after seeing the report, I asked the teacher again, I go, can you tell me uh, what my kid really did? Because you're in the report stated that you heard him saying and make those threats. He was going to bring a knife and a gun. Can you, uh, where were you? And she goes, I didn't say that I wasn't there. And so her whole story changed. And that's when I knew this whole thing was fabricated. It was a but, fabricated. Now, now, didn't you say that you had seen her on the video? She said she wasn't there, but when you watched the video. She was. Okay. Yeah, okay. she told me she wasn't. She right. denied that she was not there, but she was on the video. <laughs> but in, her, in the police report, it says that she was, she overheard my son making those threats when she was upstairs. She was upstairs. She overheard the threat my son was making towards the officer and but in the video she was right there did, did your son actually say some of the things they said he said and and i preface this by saying when you put a child especially but anyone into a fight flight mode the the individual who is fearing for their life and they are acting from their body, not from their conscious brain. So we can say all kinds of things without intending, without consciously saying, I'm going to say this. I'm just curious about whether that was made up completely or whether he said anything close to that, that they um, were claiming. Uh, Beth, one thing about my son is 
he's a kid that will just tell you the truth. He will just mm -hmm. say, if he would, if he made that comment, he would have told me straight up. He made that comment. Mm -hmm. uh, there are times where he will pick up a phone and he will call me and say, mom, just letting you know, I swore at the teacher today. <laughs> that's just, that's just who he is. You know what I mean? He'll just tell me this is what I did. So when I asked him over and over and over, he said, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. And even when his uh, attorney played the video, tried to ask him questions like, can you tell me what happened in the video? He goes, I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to go out and call my mom. I want to just go call my mom. But, but, but all, of, all, all of this started, like so many of these things started, it started with a power struggle between an adult and a child. You know, your, your son was having a difficult time. He wanted to be with a, a particular teacher. The staff decided to, to lock in and, and not, you know, not be accommodating, not, not try to help him, but rather they wanted to force him to be compliant. It's all about being compliant. And that caused things to escalate. Yes, it yeah. did. Yeah. And, and I, will, I will totally, if, there were a t if, if he was actually danger to himself or others, I would totally understand why they had to get involved and be forceful. But at that time, he wasn't. He just sat at that stairs. How big was your son at that time? He was 10 years old. I remember you. He was only 64 pounds. That's 64 how pounds. much he weighed, 64 yeah. pounds. Yet he was providing, proving to be a, a, a life or death, you know, situation to that much larger resource officer who then held him in a face down restraint. Um, do you know how long he was held down when he was, you know, I saw part of the video, but I obviously didn't see the whole thing. How, how long was your son being held down? Um, honestly, I did not really like keep time on how long he was on that prone restraint. Uh, but I can tell you what happened in that room based on the video and the timestamp. It was 26 minutes. He was in that room. Mm -hmm. he, he was in there for 26 minutes and the part that really was very disturbing was very painful as a mom is that my son has uh what we call safe bed it's a it's a program where they could have called safe bed and say hey he's doing this come get him they'll come in and pick him up and take him out of the school or come in and intervene but at that time there was none of that was going on and they didn't even call me. They didn't even notify me. They didn't even have a documentation. They didn't even have anything. And so that's the part that was really just, it was, it was a heartbroken to see. Now, and at what time in the morning did this happen? The, the, the restraint and all of that. The, according to the video, you can see it was about 825, 825 okay. AM is and, when this happened. When was the first, when, and you heard from your son, your son's the one that called you and that was in the afternoon, right? Yep, my son called me around 12.30ish is when he called me. And then I came to the school. I was at the school about 1, 1.15 is when I arrived to the school. And, and yeah, so this thing happened in the morning. Nobody called me. My son is, is in that class with the teacher he wanted to be with. When I came to the school, he was in that room with that teacher he wanted to be with. But he had a bloody elbow. Mm -hmm. And... There was no bandit or anything and nobody even helped him. My son sustained injury. Mm -hmm. He's, he had to go through physical therapy for his shoulder. He was injured wow. in that incident. Yeah. 
Yeah, and of course, you know, we, we we often talk about the the risk of restraint and and seclusion, and you know, of course, it's physical injury, and and as you you said before, it can even be worse than that. But what about trauma? I mean, how has this impacted him in terms of you know, trauma is something that can be lifelong. You know, you might heal up from a, a scratch or a bruise, but how's this how's this inf- impacted him? This the trauma part. He'll just he will not get over that. Uh, even at home, we, he can't, we cannot shut his door. I cannot shut his door. You cannot stand by the door because the minute you stand by the door, he thinks you're going to seclude him and he start having anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. That's how much of this affected him. I mean, it affects him so bad. My son even tried to commit suicide after this oh, incident. Oh. He tried to kill himself because he just couldn't do it anymore. He's like, I just want to die, mom. <laughs> and that was the most painful to hear when your kids say, I just want to die and actually want to take his life. And I had to take my son to go get the help. <laughs> and it was the most painful thing any parent can do. But I knew that this trauma will follow him for the rest of his life. <laughs> He's terrified of the police. Mm-hmm. Victoria, there are there's lots of questions here, and I don't want to miss them. So, Guy, if you'll go back at some point, but one of the things that I want to say is, um, I, I am just, yesterday when you were first talking to us about this, and now even more so, I, I think about those kids who don't have a strong mom like you, because you and so many uh, each step of that way, it took incredible courage to do the things you did instead of say, in, instead of just, you know, assuming that the adults were right or assuming that there was nothing you could do. You were extremely uh, courageous and um, you have been there for him. It's, it's, and, and I want to learn more as we go on today about how, well, how you're now helping other parents, but it, it is, it's hard. I don't know that anyone who's been through it can know how hard it is to disagree with the people in power. I mean, we can disagree all we want, but to keep there because they will beat you down. No one wants to be shown to be wrong. And your ability to um, get what was right for your son is incredible. And thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to share with you a, a lot of people as they're hearing your story. I mean, this is this is tough. This is tough for, for you and and tough for a lot of people that have been through things very similar to this. Um, you know, and I just want to let you know that a lot of people are, are kind of feeling for for what you've been through. Um, let, let's talk a little bit more. I want to get to a couple of questions, but let's talk a little bit more about the setting that your son was in. So, in fact, this was one of the questions that uh, someone we both know, uh, Teresa, had brought up. Um, she asked, what educational setting did this occur in, Victoria? So what was the setting your son was in? And, um, you know, was this a setting that, that should have been able to, to better work with and meet the needs of your son? So my so in our district, in our state, we have in other states, they have like one, two, three or four, five, or four. And in our district, we have level A, B, C. It's a settings. So my son was in a setting D where he is completely removed from non-disabled peers. He's in totally different building, separate, far away from other kids. And he was with all the disabled kids. 
And let me say, there was only five kids in that basement. It was, it was horrible. It was a really horrible, but they kept them in this basement. And when he was in that basement, there was five kids. They didn't provide them the education. They didn't even provide them the for services as they promised some of those parents, including myself. And so after this whole thing happened with my son, I had to file a state complaint against the school district for violating his rights. And I end up winning that case because he shouldn't have been in that basement. He shouldn't have in first place. He shouldn't have been in that setting. And so, but that's our school is, this is what we're going to do. Parents don't have a choice. It's like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to place your kid here. We don't care what you say. I literally remember when they were moving my son from the school to that setting D, the, the district special education director looked at me and say, I don't care. If you don't like it, you can get two hours or three hours of tutoring. It's either I take my kid and put it in there or I can get a two or three hours of tutoring for my son. I'm a single mom. I work full time. How do you say, okay, give me a three hour tutoring. Who's going to watch him when I'm at school? I'm at work and he's supposed to be in school and get education. And so that was just, it was unbelievable. And that's mm -hmm. against the law that, that there is supposed to be placement. He has an IEP, right? Yes, he has an IEP. So he, that's, that is supposed to be a team decision and not one, one part of the team making the placement decision. Um, and certainly, you know, there are times, there's so many times I say, you know, if we could just legislate kindness and human decency, <laughs> a lot of these issues would go away. I mean, I'm, it's so disturbing to hear someone respond to you that way. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. want to. I don't want to lose Guy. Um, Teresa also said something early on. If you can scroll back up there um, about what this work Victoria's been doing, you got to scroll further. It's way up there about the impact she's had. Can, yes. Yeah, and I think was just making the point that prior to 2019, that in North Dakota, a child was legally culpable for a crime at the age of seven. After 2019, it changed to 10. Which is uh, still wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, Teresa was making the point that your advocacy um, has been making good trouble uh, in, in North yes. Dakota and helping to advance social justice issues. Um, yeah, great, great point. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a, in a couple minutes here. Um, I, I do want to ask you just a couple more remaining questions on you know, that placement. So I saw the video and I put the, the link in the chat as well. If people want to take a look at that. Uh, you know, I saw at least the portion of the video, that room that, that your son was put in is, was that a dedicated seclusion room? I mean, the only thing that I saw in it was a one pad and then a, a, a it looked like cinder, cinder block walls. Um, was that a dedicated seclusion space? Yes. So they use that, they use that room where they will put those seclude the kids in there. So mm -hmm. if a kid, don't want to go to gym or refuse to go to one teacher's room or the next teacher room, then they drag them into that room. Mm -hmm. They drag mm -hmm. them in there. And so mm -hmm. that is used. And it just had one, um, like a beanbag. It's like a big beanbag right. bag okay. that's in there. So yes. Now, now what was, uh, and I'm not recalling right now, but what, 
what was or is the, the North Dakota law in terms of the use of seclusion? I know, you know, in many states, I, I live in a state where the, the threshold is imminent serious physical harm. It, it's, it's supposed to be that these things are only used in these very serious situations. Uh, it wouldn't be, according to the law, appropriate to put somebody in there for refusing to do work or refusing to go to a, a class. That doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. I live in a state where we have tough laws and still kids are restrained and secluded. What was the what was the threshold in North Dakota? What were the laws at the time that this happened? Uh, honestly, Guy, I have not looked into that. I do not believe we have any state law when it comes to that restraint and seclusion. Okay. Uh, I might be wrong, but I can look into that and get back to you. Okay. Uh, our school has policies that prohibits prone restraint. But besides that, I do not believe we have a state law. I mean, like I said, I will be happy to look into it and get back to you. But um, I know that there was a bill introduced this legislative session uh, and it fell miserable. Right, right. So, but but your, your state does ban a face down prone restraint, which is exactly what was done to your son. Your son was restrained in a face down position. Yeah, in our school policy, yes, that's prohibited. Right, it's not right, supposed right, to be. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and again, you know, the we have no federal law at this point. And and with any with any luck, we will have federal law at some point soon, hopefully, hopefully this year. Um, but you know, there's been federal guidance around since 2012. And that federal guidance says the same thing I said a minute ago, which is these things are not to be used in situations unless they are extremely serious. Um, but again and again, we see that kids are restrained and secluded for very minor things. And, and so often it's, you know, unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, in, in education, people not getting the appropriate training on what they can be doing to help kids. Um, but very often in schools, it's the culture. It's these are the tools that they have in their toolbox and they use them and abuse them and they're doing serious damage to people. Yeah, it's a lack of understanding how the the neuro um, the neuroscience, how the brain functions, and how what happens when. Um, they, I've been listening to Steve Porges this week um, and a couple other people on um, Bright and Corky, and the the brain. Uh, interprets evaluation and it interprets um, um, a variety of things as threats. And so the response is an automatic, uh, an automatic non-volitional response, which can look exactly like a volitional one. But you can't get, until, until we can get our educational um, system to recognize that, they're continuing to put out guidance that uh, is in direct opposition to neuroscience and trauma. Direct opposition. Uh, so anyway, can I? We, I wanna just, can I just add to what Guy said about you know what I mean the training and, and training and stuff. Uh, that's one of the things. So my son is autistic. Um, he's on the spectrum. He likes to do things with his hands, and the school will write it as he was making a threat with his hands. They're like, oh, he was making a gang sign. He's, oh you know, gosh. they will say he made a gang sign today. They'll call me and say, oh, just letting you know he made a gang sign. And they're like, oh, today he made a hand as he was going to shoot me. And I go, okay, if you understand or even had the experience or the training, you understand children on a spectrum, some of them do do things. It might be strange things with their hands, with their shirt, 
anything. You know what I mean? They'll play. And that's what he does. He likes to play with little fidgeting with stuff. Right, but right, right. if he doesn't have anything, and then he does things with his hands. And they say, no, he's making a gang sign. So, so <laughs> yeah, you, you, you know, it, it's, it's really frustrating and upsetting. And, and you know, we, we talked about this a little when we talked earlier this week. But, you know, if we look at the data, we know what it says. It says that the majority of kids that this is happening to are kids with disabilities. You know, it's like 80% across the United States, 80% of the restraints, 77% of the seclusions. But then when you begin to look at race as well, black children are disproportionately restrained and secluded. So, so let me ask you a question for, from that standpoint. You know, we, we know that your son had a disability. Do you think that race factored into what happened to your son as well? You know, um, I try to advocate for all children. I tend right. to leave the race out um, because... Do I think based on the report that came from our school district when it comes to a discipline? Yes, according to that report, our school does disproportionately minority kids are affected when it comes to discipline, coming to anything. So based on their record, that prove that. But mm -hmm. I try not to bring that into my advocacy because this kind of things is happening to all kids within our school district. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Gotcha. So why, why don't we transition to you telling us a little bit more about, you know, a after you saw the video, you know, your, your son, um, you know, moving past the charges, kind of what your what your work started to look like then and, and you know, how you began to advocate for other kids uh, and the work that you've been doing since all this happened to your son. So when all this happened and the charges against them, the state decided to dismiss it because there was no burden of proof. They saw the video and they saw the documents. It just didn't add up. So they dismissed the case, you know, and he was young at the same time. And so when I came publicly with my story, parents start reaching out to me. People were just like, that happened to my kid. People were calling me. People were emailing me. People were just all over, not even just in our state, but I'm getting emails from all over. So I realized that this is just bigger than what's happening in our state. And that really drove me to start, okay, I'm gonna start using my personal experience, what I have gone through and what I did to help other parents and guide them based on my personal experience. I have no background on a special education. I have no background when it comes to that but I have the personal experience. So I start helping families, going to IEP meetings with them, trying to make sure that they get their children to psychology, to get the therapy they need. And I just start helping family and advocating for them and being that voice and empower them. And so teach them what I learned along the line to help them so they can too become self-advocate and do it on them, do it on their self, okay? Just so they can go on their own and do it. So that's really what, what drove me to this work is the amount of people that was reaching out to me. And it just empowered me. I was really scared to come public with my story because of this is 90, 98% white state, okay? And mm -hmm. it's a law and order state. Uh, you don't bring anything in public. You keep it behind closed door. So I knew that coming publicly, I was scared. My, my attorney was scared for me. They even asked me to leave the state. Many people asked me, you need to get out of the state. Something is going to happen to you or your kid. But I wasn't going to run. I wasn't going to run because 
there was people who needing the help. I wasn't going to run. I was going to stay. And so that really, my work of seeing other people is drove me to starting this organization and helping other families. So, so tell us more about the organization. So Families United for Self-Empowerment, we do different education. We host different events. Actually, our last event, we had COPA uh, as our uh, presenter to talk to parents about what they need to know about special education. What are their rights? What are their children's rights? What is the do and don't? So we host different events. We're starting our parents' empowerment very soon. We're hoping that we can start getting parents and mentor those parents, and hopefully they can take that knowledge and empower other families. Our goal is to empower them, empower them so they can do it for themselves and they can take that knowledge and use it to help somebody else. That is our goal with this organization is to empower every single parent who need our help. And we work with not only family with children on IEP or disability, we work with family that are vulnerable. We, we have a lot of population of new American. We work with those too, because English is a barrier as well. Mm-hmm. So we work with those families. So we work across the line with pretty much everybody that need our help. Mm-hmm. That's great. Which, you know, I, I really think when I think about what our challenges are, um, it's pretty clear that um, the educational leadership is pretty comfortable with the way with the way things are pretty comfortable with behavior management systems of uh, behaviorism, pretty comfortable with um the IDEA, the way it plays out. Uh, And when things don't go right, it's um, considered uh, this was a particular uh, incident rather than looking at this, we have a systemic issue here. And I really think that our hope and change is going to come from the, and I don't mean this uh, as the, from the, you talk about leading from the inside or leading from the bottom up instead of the leadership that's at the top calling all the shots, I think this change is going to come from the people like you. Um, and I'm, I'm very encouraged when I hear things like what you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. So I've got a couple of questions and I want to bring up a couple of comments here as well from um, our, our viewers and listeners. So um, one of my questions for you, uh, and I guess I'll start at the, I started the last one was, How's your son doing now? How's your son doing today? You know, um, you, you know, one of the questions we often get is, you know, well, what, what do you do after this, something like this has happened? So what did you do to help your son and, and how is he doing today? Uh, we, he continued to go to therapy after this whole incident. Uh, and what people don't understand is this, when a trauma like that happened to a child, there's also a family who has the secondary trauma. Everybody in the house get affected. And I was mentally affected because, you know, I had to watch, I had to deal with that. So what happened to him didn't only affect him, but affect my entire house. And so, you know, now, you know, he's okay. He's in a middle school. Um, he has not been restrained. Uh, he really enjoy his teacher. He has a teacher who really understand him. And what is so, one of the things is in his IEP, I was reading the other day, the teacher's like, do not do anything that he can see because he will try to protect. Because that's what he will, he, this is just in him. When he sees somebody's in trouble, then he wants to protect. 
And so he's doing, he's doing okay. We still have a long road when it comes to his trauma. That it's a long road and we still have our struggles where he still, there's some triggers. He, if you see the police driving by, he gets triggered. And if he's playing outside in our backyard and the police drive by, he come running inside and he goes straight in his house, you know, and he'll stay for the, for the rest of the night. He won't come out, you know? So he still deals with that. And I don't know if I'll be able to help him with that part. Um, uh, yes, he has a police officer in the school he's going into right now. But he's kind of trusting him a little bit because he does not come close to him. He's very, very pays attention to his surrounding. Mm -hmm. um, so he's very, very hyper. I mean, he always just watching his surrounding. Yep. Yep. And, yep. So yeah, we, we, we talk about that a lot because, you know, that's the impact of, of trauma is this hypervigilance where a kid is just constantly scanning their environment looking for danger. I mean, after mm -hmm. this happens to you, imagine again, you know, 60 some pounds and, and you know, having your, you know, being held down in a prone restraint like that. I mean, you know, it, it really does affect your your trust, but also just affects your, you know, you don't feel safe. And, and you know, kids it's hard to learn if you don't feel safe. It's hard to make progress if you don't feel safe. And, uh, you, you know, these things can lead to behaviors that can then, you know, get kids in trouble again. And, and you mentioned the, the magic word relationship. Um, you know, I remember you talking about your son and how that uh, critical that was. And, and that's so critical to yeah. all kids that, that need help with these kinds of things. But let me get a couple comments here from our audience. And then I know Beth has one because I, I can tell it in her eyes that she, she does. <laughs> but but a couple uh, things that people uh, mentioned here. Um, one is, let's see, I saw Teresa mentioned that there are not state laws currently regarding restraint and seclusion. And I think uh, Pamela was doing a little research and said that there was some legislation, uh, let's see, proposed in 2016. <laughs> Uh, Michelle mentioned that I guess she is in Nebraska and mentioned that, uh, you know, her, her state as well is kind of stuck in the 1800s in terms of uh, laws and policies and, and whatnot. And, and that's one of the problems with schools in general is that, you know, we are often lagging decades behind in in the science and the approaches that we should be taking. You know, we, we learned more in the 1990s about the brain and the way, way the brain worked and about trauma, yet you know, some 30 years later, so little of that information has made it into our classrooms. Um, so there's there's a lot of progress to be made. Let me see what else we have here. And Beth, if you want to um, ask a question, I'm going to look for a few more comments well, here. I did just a couple comments. Uh, the the 1800 thing struck me because I was going to say, well, hey, you know, you're way ahead of um, the criminal justice system in Virginia because uh, for the last two sessions, uh, we have a, uh, an organization that's been trying to get us out of the Stone Age. I can't remember which comes first, Stone Age or Ice Age. But in one of the sessions, we moved out of one of those into the next one. <laughs> and then the next one, we're moving out of that. So we're still talking about Stone Age, Ice Age. We're, forget the, you know, <laughs> the, the century when, when humans were more human. Um, not more human, but more like we are now. Um, so it's one of the things also that I am I think about from the criminal justice. Um, I've been really involved in watching what happens and being involved um, in the sessions. And they uh, in Virginia, and I think it's happening across the country, there's a push for um, uh, independent oversight committees, community oversight committees that are because the way things are generally set up, which is how school systems are too, when you have a complaint or an issue, you 
the people who review it are the people within the system and they're going to protect the system every time. So uh, this has been something that I've been thinking for the last year. Somehow we need to get uh, independent uh, oversight bodies for our school system um, so that parents don't continue to be gaslighted. Mm -hmm. I just throw that out there. And then the question I was going to ask you is, I keep throwing out ideas, um, but I'm not the only one with ideas. Do you have suggestions <laughs> of what we could do that could, what could be done that could make this better? What are some great steps? Beth, can I just respond to what you just said, you know, bringing in, I, I don't see that happening in our state, uh, but if that happened, uh, I will move. Because then I'll say, there is a success. There's success, but I don't see that happening. Bringing in an independent to do that. I mean, for parents, we had to fight so much. We had to, when I came out publicly, parents start reaching out. We start filing OCR complaint. And when we start filing the OCR complaints, well, OCR was going to just look at individual claims and just go by that. But I wanted something big. I was like, no, we need our school. They need to look at our school mm -hmm. system. So what I decided to do is I went to the mail office. I just, you know, send them the whole 26-minute video on a floppy drive. I put it in an envelope and I mail it to them. So they can actually watch the whole 26-minute video from the beginning to what happened to him all the way to the end and then decide if they still want to do just individual complaint. And that really, that, in my opinion, that grabbed their attention. Mm -hmm. And so our school, and our school is still under compliance review right now. And well, it should be. <laughs> but how nice yeah. it would be if people would decide we're going to do the right thing without having to have somebody tell us that. Yeah, and I hope we have somebody from OCR watching today. I know that uh, I know that we have a lot. Of, oh, well, no, I, I'm I'm not joking. I mean, we have a lot of people that watch these, and and, and you know, I, I hope they're watching. I hope they're paying attention. I hope they're going to do something um, because we we can't let this systemic issues continue to happen where they happen. Uh, you know, more needs to be done. And you know, I'm you know, I, I appreciate that there are people that work for the Office of Civil Rights that are very concerned about the issues and want to do better work. But I'm also concerned with the fact that, uh, you know, in terms of the process, they, they collect this data, but they don't do anything with it proactively. You know, um, that, that most of what comes out of the Office of Civil Rights is due to complaints. And as we know, a lot of people are afraid to uh, file complaints or don't know how to file complaints. And, and, you know, the fact that we collect data and don't proactively act on the data, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I, I hope people from OCR are, are paying attention and are looking at things like this because we do need to... You know, the more we can address these large, these systemic issues that are affecting, you know, a lot of people, the more we can pressure others to, to do the right things as well. I agree. I totally agree with that. I just hope that, you know, we can get some changes for our kiddos because those children, some of them. And yes, fear is a big, big thing. I meet with families that will say, this is what happened to my kid. But I don't want to say anything because I don't want them to retaliate. I have been retaliated against many times right. by right. the school, but you just don't stop. Yeah. And and that is why we need this to be looked at from a systemic, a systemic um, perspective. Because if you keep it just an individual, the tens of people, <laughs> you know, all of the people within the organization can go against one individual. One one family at a time, but if 
if we can pull together like you are doing, I mean, you're doing great work. Um, that's what's that's what's Thank needed you. for the change. And I am glad that for a while there, o OCR, Office of Civil Rights, yes, uh, was not looking at anything systemic. They were just doing the one by one, which cannot solve these issues are systemic. Mm -hmm. They are not one kid at a time. They're systemic from a system that is set up um, to not be providing the kinds of support um, that kids yeah. need. And frankly, it's set up that it's not providing the kind of support that the teachers need either. Um, it's not a matter of teachers against uh, families, but teachers to put in a position of using practices that are outdated um, of, of not having the support to learn um, that our first question should not be, is this a classroom uh, managed behavior or a, a referral, but instead should be, what does this child need? Mm. How can I help calm yep. the stress? Um, yep. So anyway. Yeah. So, so Victoria, um, great, great points, Beth. And I, I think, you know, this is where we need to be working towards. It's, it's not just how can we stop these things from happening, but how can we get better, better approaches and people thinking differently? Um, and, and Victoria, I want to go back to a question Beth asked, and the same question was in my mind. And I think, I think I might've hijacked it. And we went, went in a different direction, <laughs> but having talked to you, there are things that stick out to me about what you've done. Um, first is you, you have this real, presence of, of, of mind to think, okay, I need to, I, it, this is not the moment for me to be angry, emotional, whatever it may be. I need to be here. I need to be focused on what's going on. Uh, I need to, you know, I, I need to be able to, to do something to, to create change. And, and you're so determined and you've done such an amazing job, not only with what happened in regards to your son, but in helping others. So my question, and this piggybacks on what Beth was asking you, is like, wh what are some of your tips? I mean, you know, j just, you know, for instance, that ability to, to stay calm in the middle of a storm can sometimes be really helpful. But what are a couple of your tips that you would give to other families or parents that might be going through situations like this? You know, I'm going to tell parents it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry, but don't do it in front of your kids because let them see that you'll go it, you're going to fight for them. But I, I cried. I, I drive in my car and I go somewhere and I cried. But I come back and I say, you know what? I'm going to do it. The last thing is to never show your emotion to the people in power. Don't act. Because as a parent of a special child with a special need, you're looked at as you're already uh, a trouble person. They look at you as you're emotional. You overreact. You this. And so that's the message I really want parents to be able to take that time for yourself. It's okay to just reconnect. And it's really important to have connect yourself with people who understand what you're going to people who have the same similar situation. So you can bounce on them and you can vent to them. And I am so grateful. I am so thankful. I have so many friends, not only friends with children with disability, but also friends. And I'm still have a close um, relationship with my childhood friends. And I have a great teacher who inspired me and I reached out and just cried and say, I don't know if I can do this. But the next day, I just say, you know what? It's another day, take it day by day, take it day by day. And I have done it. And I don't know, I will be here if I let my emotion 
take over when my son was going through this because I know if I were to react, I act on my emotion, they would have turned around and charged me and say, I am trying to threaten them. That right, would have been right. exactly what would happen that day, but I did. Yeah. That is such a good point. That is such a good point. And that is maybe, I think one of the hardest things to do is to uh, maintain your own emotional control. And, and I'm one of those that could probably be called too emotional. <laughs> so I, I know what a challenge it is. Um, so kudos to you. Yeah, but but Thank not an e not not an easy one. I mean, not an no. easy one. No. I mean, I, you know, I, I found that you know, in in in, I'm going to use the words fighting for my son and fighting for what happened there, that I had to do that. I had to separate myself out, and um, you know, um, I mean, <laughs> there were things my son told me that really had me upset, and I had to be able to kind of get myself together to be effective, even when it was difficult. Um, and yeah. and I think that that is a, a big thing as well. Well, let me ask you now. So. What are some of the things that you're working on now? What What are some of the What are some of the things that that are in your 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 sights now in th terms of things that you want to change and things you're working towards? I don't know if I want to share that, but we okay. have some works. We have some works that we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're going to get pushed back, but I am just too stubborn to give up. So yeah, sometimes. No. <laughs> you know, you, you have to align yourself with people who have the courage and who support you. And that's one thing I learned in this field is that there are some people within our leadership who truly want to help and want to make the change. But then you have some that are don't want to make the change. So how do you connect with those who wants to make the change and work together? And so that's my goal is to work with those who want to see the same change in, within our school district and how do we work together to bring some of the changes. Yeah, it's such an important tip is finding your allies, finding your finding yes. the people that want the same things. And and, and you know, I, I hope you realize that you know we've got we've got a growing community here at the Alliance and uh, we're we're allies, all of us here. Uh, and we've got a lot of different kinds of people here. We've got parents, we've got self-advocates, we've got teachers, we've got you know administrators. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, there absolutely are. Sometimes we make the assumption, you know, that that maybe you know it's only us, but but there are a lot of people that want to see positive change and yeah. finding allies, even when it's hard to find them, if you can, can have a tremendous benefit. Yes. And, and, and that makes me think, too, about it's really easy when something uh, bad happens to paint everybody in the organization as bad. But it sounds like what you're doing is, is calling out who, who within schools want to help be a part of that change, which absolutely is how we're going to make positive change. And not I, I get the most frustrated when uh, I get painted by someone else not that this happens a lot, but but all of us do. When we get disagree with something, if somebody else is uh, speaking, um, putting words in our mouth, or saying we're we're doing something when we're, no, we're not. We may be a part of this organization, but we don't believe that. Uh, I'm not talking about AASR, but I mean like a school. We may be. I may be a teacher in this school, but I don't believe in what's being done. I I think figuring out how we can pull along and, and work together is really important. It sounds like you have figured that out. Yeah, I had to figure that out. And and we have um, we have a new administration. We have a new superintendent. So when this incident happened to my son, there was a different administration as a superintendent. 
So we had a new superintendent and I had a meeting with that superintendent and I, and I told the superintendent, I'm not going to hold you responsible for what happened to my son, because you know what, I'm not going to hold that other man failure and use it against you. But what you do in your position now, I will hold you against moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I was clear with him because you know what, I cannot use what happened before he came in and use that against him. But what he does when he's in there is what I'm going to use against him. And, and I say, you know, we work together, you know, you don't make the same mess the other guy made, then we work together. And we have a new chief of police in our, uh, in our city. So I, I hope that we will see some changes. I, I am really optimistic. I always think optimistic. That's so. great. And, and you're making me think about how we might, um, I, you know, I hear stories and I hear good things people are doing and I hear bad things that are happening. And I think of um, our organization is trying to make changes across the whole United States, but also everywhere these things are happening. And so when I think about uh, what can we do that can take advantage of the successes people are doing in their own area, um, you know, as as you talked about, if a, a, the work that you do, how can we build on that? The work that someone in North Carolina does, how can we all build on that? That's one thing I'd like to see us um, do a little more of because I think, uh, I think there's tremendous power uh, in all of you. In, yeah. In yeah, absolutely. Figure it out. So, so I want to get I want to get to a couple more questions here from people, and I want to encourage anybody that has a question to go ahead and put it in the chat because we're getting close to time here. Um, and uh, I, I know we've had to make technical changes, so I, I don't want to assume like your battery's not dying or anything like that because we, we never know at this point. But let me hit a couple of things that we have here, and then we'll see if there's any more that people have. One of the things I've seen come up a couple times here, and Vicky, we're we're I, I've I've seen uh, your your uh, question here is about. Uh, they want to know more about your organization. So is there a website, a Facebook page? Is there some place that they can go? Yeah. Okay. They can go, they can go on our Facebook families United for self-empowerment. It's on okay. Facebook and our, okay. and our, our link is in there too. Okay. Okay. And, and our I'll website, see if, our website is on there too. Okay. Uh, families United. Okay. And I'll see if I can pull that up here real quick, or if somebody else in the chat is able to pull it up before me, then uh, I'd say you get a prize, but I don't have any prizes, but you know, you'll, you'll get recognition. How's that? Um, <laughs> what I should be doing is giving out some of this cool mask. In fact, I have one here. Uh, this was an Alliance Against Seclusion and Restraint face mask, uh, but we also uh, have one that's for CASA. For the keeping all students safe act so maybe at some point i'll have to order some of those and, and we can actually have a giveaway for somebody that does something yeah. like that uh, a lot of people <laughs> here thanking you for for speaking up um you know for what you've been doing um and uh let's see what we have here uh, i had a good I, question oh I like Wendy. Okay. yeah go ahead Oh, yeah. Well, this was a comment, you know, I think, Beth, when you were talking a little bit about approach and the different approaches that we need to take and, and somebody brought up, you know, it's time to move past, you know, B.F. Skinner and behaviorism and, you know, these different approaches that often are, are making things worse, not in fact helping. But we are not past it in our. Oh, no, 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 no. Federal level, at least not, not at all. 
Wendy Nogal, uh, I'm not sure how to say that, Nogales, Nogales, um, I think she makes a point about uh, it would be great if OCR would recognize that every complaint represents a trauma. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, all right. So I'll see if we have any more questions here. But uh, again, you know, we've got a lot of people here that that stand with you. And, and you know, I think, um, you know, that's one of the, the strengths and what we're able to do is be able to share stories like yours, um, because they really are. They're inspiring to others that are going through these things. We we often feel alone and powerless, you know, when we're in these situations. Um, but, you know, you you have um, and I remember talking to you yesterday and you, you brought up a story um, but, you know, what, what, what you shared with me that was so impactful is like, you, you're a warrior with this. You're, you're really just kind of continuing to push, continuing to make progress, uh, not giving up. And, you know, that's something that I, I learned as well was anytime I hit a brick wall was not to take that as a no, but to figure out how I can double down and do more, you know. Um, but it can be hard and it can be frustrating for sure. Do you know, Guy, my favorite song is Reba McIntyre. I'm a survivor and you just play a different game when the chips are stuck against you. You just play a different game. Yeah. That's like my favorite lyrics out of her song. I remember one of, one of the songs that was like <laughs> stuck in my head and we could all, we could all maybe mention our songs here in the, uh, the comments, but, but um, it was a Tom Petty song. I, I won't back down. And that was just always in my head. Like, I'm not going to back down. You know, you can, you yeah. can back me up, but I, I won't back down. Um, yeah. and, and I think it's important. I mean, it's important. We, we have a lot more power sometimes than we think, especially as you said, when we find our allies, when, when we, when we take a step back and are able to really kind of put together our, our thoughts and, and arguments. Um, so I, I've got a world of respect for you. Yep. Thank you. So on that note, uh, I don't see any more questions popping up here in the chat. So Beth, do you have any final questions before we wrap up? Um, first of all, I'm going to say thank you again. I think uh, I wish I'd met you sooner uh, and I will be in touch. I love what you're doing. Um, and my, my final question is, um, and you don't have to answer it today, but let me just ask you if there's anything you think that our organization could be doing that we're not already doing to try to pull people, to try to support you um, and support this work, let us know. I will definitely do that. I will definitely be reaching out and see what we can do to work together and bring the change. You know, um, I know Maryland is probably different uh, law wise and what you guys are doing there. You know, we have a very tough state. Our state, you know, they don't like too much change. Um, and sometimes when you have people who are strong, who stand for what is right and fight, you become a threat. Uh, you right. seen as temperamental. Um, I had people telling me, "Oh, well, you know, you're conformate. You you're temperamental. You you attack people. You do this. You know, it's always something because people are not ready to hear the truth and they're right. not ready to face the truth. So you become a person they don't want to associate with because you know what? They know you're telling the truth. And but you know, it's okay. Like I told you yesterday, Beth. I came from a grandma who's a warrior." It's in my DNA. It's marvelous. <laughs> All right. Well, fantastic. Victoria, um, it's, a, it's a pleasure as always to see you. And I appreciate the opportunity to get to know you. Really appreciate you coming on today and sharing your story. You know, I mean, you know, I think we've covered a lot of, of really helpful information today. But, but it's always tough. It's always tough to, 
to share our stories, but I think it's really important because that's one of the the, power, the pieces of power that we have is that power of, of sharing our stories, connecting with others, encouraging them to, to stand up like you did, um, you know, to, to be a survivor, to be a warrior, to, to do things, to, to make things better. Um, so we really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, and I know we'll, we'll be talking some more. And, and in fact, uh, one of one of your allies uh, there in North Dakota, I think we've got uh, coming to speak for us in a couple of weeks as well. Uh, Teresa, who will be talking about um, SROs in schools. So I know this is somebody that's worked with you there as well. So we're, we're really excited. And, and thank you so much for all that you're doing. I am so grateful to have a support like that. You know, Teresa and I, it's kind of like we think alike sometimes. It's kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always good to know there, there are more of us out there, right? There are more, more of yes. us that, that are thinking alike because, you know, we really do need to influence change. And, yes. uh, you know, I, I, it makes me it makes me feel all more confident to know that you're out there. Teresa's out there that, you know, the people that are watching this today that, that want to do things um, you know, we are, we are making a difference. You know, I, I, I see positive signs out there. Uh, I know it's never going to be quick enough for us, but I, I do think that we're, we're getting to a point where, you know, some of the messaging that we're putting out there is, is getting heard and we're going to keep fighting. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. And Beth, thank you for, for co-hosting today. Uh, I've got a couple of, uh, a couple announcements here, but I will let you both go. And uh, thank you. All right. So a uh, quick announcement. Uh, our next uh, Facebook Live event will be in two weeks as always. So we do these every two weeks. Uh, in our next event, we're going to be talking with a teacher, uh, Karen Blatcher, who was featured in a uh, article on Good Morning America about how she used, um, how she made it an inclusive classroom and uh, how all of her children benefited from uh, inclusion and kind of the elements behind things like universal design. Really an amazing uh, teacher. So it's great to highlight things that people are doing in the classroom to make them more inclusive and to make them better. So as always, I uh, want to thank everybody for joining us today. I uh, hope you enjoyed the um, the program. I encourage you to share these with, uh, you know, with your friends and teachers. Uh, you know, if, if you're a parent, share it with your teachers and your administrators. If you're a teacher, share it with your parents. You know, these stories and these messages and the training that we do here can be really valuable. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for being part of our community. And we look forward to seeing you again next time.